0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Lacey Hadley, and I am part of the Hot NMC, and I will be reading uh, today's word. Um, if you want to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, and it's verses 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.
1: Thank you. You can be seated. We'll dismiss our school age kids to head to the back with exuberance. Right? <clears throat> um, as Lacey did, I'll invite you to open your Bibles if you brought one to Mark chapter one, or follow on your device where that's where we'll be we started um two weeks back with this uh invitation of walking in uh mark's gospel of come and meet the real jesus i don't know of a better selection of verses that get to the point better quicker faster than mark does answering that very question who is the real jesus and what does he want from me or what does it mean for me to follow after him or what's his what is his call on my life first his message jason touched on last week and then the calling of his first disciples and then they go on their first ministry trip oh, am i going in and out i'll just take this they take their first uh, ministry trip and see some crazy things and i explained last week why this is so important is it so important to know the real jesus because we easily deceive ourselves many even us if we're really honest we want to make jesus look like us instead of us transforming to look like him we want a jesus that looks like us and votes like us And celebrates like us and enjoys life like us we want a Jesus who is shaped like us but a Jesus who is shaped exactly like you is not the real Jesus that's basically just you worshiping yourself your projection of what he should be and what he is because a Jesus that's made in your image can't push back doesn't bring conviction because You shaped him to look exactly like you look, instead of you molding into his image. But that's deception talking, and it is so dangerous. You ever read the Bible, and it's a bit offensive, especially through the Gospels, of how incredible the call that Jesus offers to us, his invitation, what he's asking? Because Jesus is so radically different, he calls us to be shaped like him more and more and then empowers us to do so. In this passage, we're invited to follow Jesus. Now we do a series every year called Following Jesus and we've touched on some of these very passages before. So don't let your familiarity with it like uh, rob you of the truth behind it. This is an incredible passage, you are invited to know God on a personal basis, to follow Jesus. More than that, to become like him. Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of the good news. Again, Jason touched on this uh, last week. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, verse 14, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, it helps us to understand this message when we get a better glimpse of what's going on even in the Old Testament. Mark just jumps right in, but Isaiah 40 explains that humanity is so messed up and so wayward that God himself was going to have to come to redeem and to restore it. The world is such a mess, it's going to take God himself to come and to set it straight. Genesis has the promised um seed as was given to Adam and Eve that there would be a day when when God himself would come and and set everything straight think about this in the creation of the garden in our origin story it was paradise there was no sin there was no disease there was no decay why because God was in complete and total control Let me use this illustration. Imagine a Lamborghini up here. Or out there. I don't think we could get it up here. It's, imagine this Lamborghini. Have you ever seen a Lamborghini? Even if you don't know cars, if you don't know what the difference between a Lamborghini and Ferrari is, or you just you look at it and you think, man, what a machine. And if you look at it up close or you hear it start, or you see it on the on the interstate, just whiz by you. You're like, man, what a machine. The horsepower in that thing, the engineering that goes into making a car like that that costs a quarter million dollars or half a million dollars. I mean, that, it's, 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 it's this incredible machine. Now, also imagine that it's a five-year-old driving it. What will happen? Complete destruction, right? Right because it wasn't meant to be controlled by a five-year-old. This is what we see happen when sin enters the world. When God's in control, it's paradise. There's no sin or disease. There's no evil. There's no shame. There's no animosity between people. There's no animosity between animals. It's perfect because God's in control. Sin enters the world and a bunch of five-year-olds take over. And things don't operate like they're supposed to. When sin into the world, we decided to put ourselves in the driver's seat of our own lives. And if you haven't noticed yet, we mess everything up. Everything starts to fall apart. Everyone started living for themselves. You're the five-year-old that takes over the Lamborghini. Now imagine you're on the interstate and everyone that passes you is a five-year-old driving a Lamborghini. Can you imagine the destruction? Just as an example, Jesus tells us that we're to forgive. If you've ever been really wronged or really hurt, forgiveness is otherworldly. It's impossible without God. And instead of forgiving, which Jesus says, this is how I made the world and this is how I want to empower you to live in the world. And because there's a bunch of five-year-olds driving Lamborghinis around, you're going to be hurt and you're going to hurt others. But you're going to be hurt and it's not going to be your fault, but you're going to be really hurt and you're going to be wounded. And because of that, what you're going to want to do is hurt them back and you're going to want to injure them back and you're going to want to, to, want to take matters in your You're going to want to take that wound and let it fester and you're going to want to get revenge and that, that unforgiveness is going to turn into bitterness and that bitterness is just going to spew toxicity all over your own life and then you become the, the prisoner of that wound, carrying around with yourself this like stench of death all the time. That's no way to live, God says. No, 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 forgive let me let me let me avenge you just you just extend forgiveness but that's easier said than done right when jesus comes in he announces the kingdom of god what he's doing is inviting us to trust him to repent and believe the rightful king of the kingdom has returned and he's inviting us to live in the way that the world was created to be lived in with Jesus as the rightful king. Now, in order to make Jesus the king, you've got to get rid of the reigning king of your own life, which is probably you. And you've got to, you've got to dethrone yourself in order to enthrone him. He invites us to make him king, to participate with his rule. Again, he didn't didn't force it on you. He, He invites you into it. And when you do, healing begins. When you make Jesus king of your life, your mind and your heart and your soul and your will begin to be healed and begin to be aligned with God's original intent of creation. This is the process of transformation. You begin to heal and deeper healing and deeper healing. And you find things in, in their wounds from the passage. You don't even know were are there. They begin to bubble up. And, and this is what the Spirit does is he brings real transformation of you. This continuing partnership with him that goes deeper and deeper into areas of disbelief. Areas that you forgot were even a thing. I've used this quote by Eugene Peterson about, about this call to make Jesus king. He says, for the biblical way is not so much to present us with a moral code and tell us to live up to that, nor is it a set of belief of uh, a system of doctrine that say, think like this and you will live well. No, the biblical way is to tell a story and invite us in. Live into this. This is what it looks like to be a human in this God-made, God-ruled world. This is what is involved in becoming and maturing as a human being. He goes on to say, we do violence to the biblical revelation when we use it for what we can get out of it or what we think will provide color or spice to our otherwise bland lives. He says that results in a kind of boutique spirituality, God as decoration. When it comes to this Christianity thing, especially in the West, we kind of look at Christianity on the spectrum, right? And over on one side, we've got those people who are so fanatic. They're, they're too fanatic about following Jesus. You know, they're the, they're the Tim Tebow's of, of Christ, you know, spirituality. And then maybe on the, on the other side, we've got the, 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 the famous atheists. I don't know who they are. They're just, you know, they're not Christian. They're clearly not Christian. And then in the middle, we got people that we don't, we don't know what to think about them, like Oprah and Dr. Phil or somebody. I don't know who they are. They're, this, they're the people in the middle. And most of us, if we're really honest, we come in and we think, man, I, I don't want to be this. They, those people, they, they just a little, they love Jesus a little too much, right? So they put it in their yards and on their houses and in their backsplat. That's a little too much, right? Ooh, that's crazy. And we definitely don't want to be like those. So we want to aim somewhere for in the middle. But the invitation to Jesus is never that. It is not for the middle. Look at the text. Repent and believe, he says. And then the next thing that happens, verse 16, then passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, where he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Here's the first thing I want to tell you about the call of Jesus is that it requires a new perspective. It requires a paradigm shift. It requires a a greater vision. These men were fishermen. This was everything they knew. This was everything they had trained for. The horizon of their lives were limited by the deck of the boat itself. They were fishermen who were destined to live and die in that one village, and this was the inciting events when Jesus called them into a greater story. These uneducated men would completely change the course of history. They were rednecks. It says they had such an accent that they were recognized everywhere. Remember in the denial of Jesus when Peter denies them, they see Peter like, we know you're one of those guys. You have the Galilean accent. God would use them to shape the course of history because they got a greater vision, a better perspective. But that required them to step out in faith and really follow after him. See, the call to Jesus is nothing about the middle. Look at this first disciples. What was the call? They didn't say, hey, Jesus didn't say, hey, take this number and call me when you're at a place in your life where you're looking for something a little more. Or, hey, when you get bored with things, I've got something to add color to your life. No, his call was to right then follow. Look, it says that immediately, uh, Mark says, which is his favorite word, immediately the disciples left everything at once. They left their nets, their occupation. Now, now, we know that they would fish later in life. But he's pointing out this, they they left their nets, the, 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 what they knew how to do. They, they even left their boats. That was their understanding of safety and comfort. And that was their bank account, baby. They even left Zeb hanging out in the boat by himself. Can you imagine being him? I mean, his succession plan is down the tube so quickly. Why does Mark point this out? Remember, we've been talking about the names of Jesus, and I'm excited about Advent. We're going to go through uh, the names of Jesus, a new name of Jesus every day of Advent, and we've got this cool thing to do with your families and the the whole bit. You're going to be able to pick those up next week. Is that right, next week? Yes, picking those up next week. But this this is Mark saying, listen, I know we've talked about him being the Son of God and him being Jesus Christ, and he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Here he's entering in as the king because he's inviting you to go live in the kingdom in which he's the king. They left everything at once. He's emphasizing that to follow Jesus is to put him in the rightful place and make him king, king over your occupation, king over your comfort and understanding, king even over your family. He's the king. Immediately, they left these things. The picture, the gospel writer's is painting is one of a fundamental shift, a paradigm shift, no longer living to be fishermen, now living to follow Jesus and becoming like him. They will no longer be fishers of fish. Now they will be fishers of men. And I do like the word it says becoming. Like there's this maturation process that he's going to take them on. This new fundamental shift is something they're pursuing, but they're not going to be graded at it at first. They're going to have to learn to crawl before they walk and walk before they run. This is not a call to the middle, to this lukewarmness. This is not a call to when it's convenient. This is not a call to cultural Christianity. This is a call to make him king. Can I ask you, friends, if that's ever happened in your life? Not that you went to church and you knew the songs. Is he the king? Does he have the right to point to anything in your life and says, hey, I need you to give this to me. Hey, I need to go deeper in this. Hey, I need you to trust me with this. Hey, I need you to forgive that. Hey, I need you to go into Thanksgiving this week and not debate all the things and just be be a peacemaker. Does he have the right to be the king? Secondly, the call demands priority. Again, his kingship is not something where he rules from the corner or from the outside. No, he rules from the center. I love this in Mark 12, maybe another uh, passage you're familiar with. We'll get to this again kind of probably at the rate we're going several months next year. Who knows? Uh, 2025, we'll get to this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them so well, they asked him, which commandment is the most important? And Jesus answered, the most important is, and he quotes to Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord's one. And love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all your mind and with all your strength. And the second like this, Jesus add ones, adds one, love your neighbor as yourself. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does it mean to make Jesus king of all? Well, that he would be king of all. Your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. Jesus presented a possibility of real, holistic, everything about you change. Not a segmented one, where I want to give him my emotions, but not my will, I want to give him my strength, uh, but not my desires. I want to give him my weekends, but not my week. It's, it's none of that.' It's no, no way to section it out. His call to be king is a king to be called uh, to be king over everything, not a segmented love. See, many today, we do this, and we justify ourselves because we're aiming at the middle. I just want to when we want to aim at the middle we just want to be a little bit better than someone else and so we say I want to honor God with with my money but 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 not my weekend I want to honor God with whatever else that we do we we want to segment them out but the scriptures begin to be clear that it's the that it's this holistic thing that the heart would be central in loving God In Proverbs 4, we are to keep our heart with all diligence, for from it flows the the wellspring of life, Proverbs 4.23 says. Or in Luke 6, those who are good are those who have good stored up in their hearts, Jesus says. Again and again we could go, but to love God with our heart, but also our soul. Our soul is synonymous with our spirit and our devotion to God. Our soul is responsible for our highest spiritual experiences. It's the seat of emotional activity. Christ's obedience was no more, nowhere more tested than in the Garden of Gethsemane, where his soul, he says, was sorrowful to the point of death. The soul expresses our sorrow and joy that comes with the life of faith. The heart relates to the will, the soul to our emotions, We're to make Jesus king over both. To love God with our whole mind involves the seed of our intellectual life. To love him with our mind is to love him with the right dispositions and the right attitudes. Not only thinking about him, but submitting our thinking to his character of what he reveals to us. Because of our finiteness, we will never get to the point where we have no need of learning more about God. I think this is going to be the miracle of being with him in eternity. What does Paul say? Right now we kind of see through a glass dimly. And through the Holy Spirit and the word of God, we get revelation and we get experience that we know him a little more. Hopefully you know him more today than you did last week. Hopefully as you walk with him and you pursue him. But there's parts of his character that you think you know well that you don't know well. And he's going to take a hard left one day and you're going to keep going straight as we talked about a couple of weeks ago and you're going to miss it. This is why I love Mark's gospel. He's like, let me tell you who the real Jesus is. Christ's love for God meant he applied not only his heart and soul but also his mind. If it was necessary for Jesus to grow in understanding, as it talks about when he was a boy, to be taught so that he could love God with his mind, how much more necessary is it for us to learn, to know, to grow? In his book, Christology, Mark Jones explained it this way, just as God's attributes cannot be divided, so these elements of our being cannot be divided. In other words, just as God's power is his love and his wisdom and his eternality, is his knowledge and so on, our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. To love God with all of our strength then is to love God with everything that we are, which involves the whole man, the whole woman, both body and soul. This explains why he keeps using this word, all, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Does that sound like life in the middle? Does that sound like a boutique spirituality? No, this is an incredible call. This is a dangerous call. And most of us aren't living this abundant life that Jesus promised. We're living the status quo life because we're not surrendering everything to him. Not a boutique Christianity. The call... Requires this new perspective, demands priority, but then finally is extremely personal. This is not a call just to try harder, to work more. If it was, you would miss out on the whole point. The point is that we follow Jesus in a very deeply personal way, and it leads to godly activity that follows his heart. Notice this in this passage: that Jesus goes and calls these disciples by name. Remember. You remember we talked about where did mark get all of his information for this gospel he got it through peter and peter's giving him this first hand of account of how this went down that jesus called him he called them by name no rabbi did this no to be, to become a disciple of a rabbi you would go and basically interview you would try to impress them Listen, Rabbi. Look at all I've memorized, and you would quote all the things in the Old Testament, and all the things backwards, and you would brag on your uh, pedigree of, uh, of of you know being a a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew of Jews. It would be like. Freshman tryouts, you know what I'm saying? You'd be like, I'm gonna just show him my jump shot. I want to show, I want to show the rabbi what I got, and I got this money, and he's gonna, I'm gonna be on the starting five, man. I just, you know, this is what you would do to a rabbi, but Jesus flipped the script, and he didn't, he didn't wait for people to come to him and perform to get to be part of the team. No, he went and took the guys who had already been rejected by all the other rabbis who were out in the boat fishing, had given up the idea of growing into a disciple, and he called them by name I love this because it wasn't their potential or their family or their culture or their work ethic it wasn't their faith even Jesus called them and the call was extremely personal And his call to you is the same. It's an extremely personal call. He knows all the things about you. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows the sin that you think you've hidden. He knows the motives, even the wrong motives, between the right things that you've done. And yet still, with mercy and grace, he calls and invites you to follow him. Being. Dave Deloach have been talking about and dreaming and planning for men's ministry in this next season and we've been talking about these these phrases as way of application I want to give them to you now to get in to get healthy to get strong and to get going to get in well how how do we get in Jesus said, It's really clear you repent and believe. You got to get yourself, dethrone yourself. You got to take yourself off the throne. You got to take your little five year old self out of the seat, the driver's seat. And you got to let the rightful king sit there. The way to accept the invitation is through repenting and believing. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, this is siding with Jesus against yourself. And repenting and believing is how you enter the kingdom of God, and it's how you walk every day in the kingdom of God. Because I don't know about you, but I've got some sinful tendencies that don't reign in my life anymore, but they do remain. And when someone hurts me, you know what I want to do? I want to hurt them back. I want to hurt them more if I could. And if I could do it without them knowing it was me, it would be amazing. But Jesus says, no, I I want you to forgive them. And that's hard. This flies in the face of our culture. Our culture lives for the kingdom of self. Their motto, if it feels good, do it. If you think it's right, do it. If it makes you happy, do it. But how's that working for our world? We've got more education and more connectivity. We've, we've got more counselors than ever before. We've got better health care than ever in the history of humanity. And yet our suicide rates have never been higher. How's that working for us when we're the king? Jesus invites us to repent of our selfishness, not just the actions of our life, but whose kingdom we're living for. Can I ask you a really personal question? Is what God wants done getting done in your life? James makes it really clear what God wants done. It's a true religion is those that takes care of the orphan and the widows and keeps oneself from being stained by the world. Is what God wants done getting done? Cause see, I I think a lot of us deceive ourselves, and we don't put us Tim Tebow area, but we put us really close. And the truth is, we're really way over here B- because we're disciples, maybe in name only. We've not given him the throne. To get in is to repent and believe. To get healthy is to allow Jesus to actually change what we're living for. To change our desires and pursuits, to heal our wounds, to forgive our hurts. To expose the lies and insert the truth. You know, our brains are like little recorders in our minds and we believe all the wrong things about God. That's why the enemy's main tactic is to convince us that God can't be trusted and that his word can be trusted and it can never be trusted. His word can never be trusted. Only God can be trusted. This is why the lie in the very beginning in in Genesis to Adam and Eve were against God. God can he really be trusted basically don't you want to drive the lamborghini yourself you know a lot of us have experienced a lot of hurt from those other, from those other five-year-olds driving the lamborghinis it's true and you're going to walk into Thanksgiving, even as Jason said, and some of those hurts are going to come back to the surface. And you're going to realize how damaged your car is because of not your own fault, but it's like playing bumper cars out there with everybody. It's just, this can be, you know, you know why Christian counseling exists? You know, Jason's a counselor, Lyle who led, he's a, he's a counselor, he does it full time. Emily's a counselor. A lot of you go see Ross. You, you know why we do that? And so we can have someone's outside wisdom and perspective and, and, and their expertise open the hood of the car and think, okay, this is, what's, this is what's happened. Someone told you this when you were seven or ten. You've been living for the kingdom of self for a really long time, and it's bringing all this toxicity and everything with it. And I love the ministry of counseling. I think it's an incredible ministry. Because it, it's how we get healed. We talked about a couple weeks ago, Jason preached uh, in our All In series that everybody walks in the light. Everybody started singing the DC Talk song, which is amazing. But I hope a lot of us took a step in walking in the light. Because you never get healthy, you never get healing until you start walking in it. Teachers, you ever, you ever had those kids that are just the hardest kids to teach or coaches to coach, and they're just arrogant little snobs. You're just like, man, if it wasn't illegal, I'd just snatch your head right off your body. It would just be done. Well, we can't be that honest in here. Okay, okay, I'm the only one. It's fine, it's fine. And then you meet their parents, and you're like, oh, Yes, far worse, snob. Well, you know, that's because that person was wounded somewhere and they never dealt with it. Somebody rammed into their car and hurt them really bad. And they're just going to keep going like everything's normal and it's not. They're spewing poison all over the place. They need an encounter with Jesus. And then you need to to walk with Christian brothers and sisters and be healed. And the first step of that is walking in the light. It's telling someone. Then to get strong. We get in and we get healthy and we get strong. Look Look at the Jesus invitation in Mark 1 is not, hey, come and obey me. Of course, that's implied. His call is to come and follow him. You know how we get strong is by taking little bitty steps of faith, trusting him to have a personal relationship with him, to invite him as king of your life, to speak into every area. There's a, again, a process to this, that we learn to trust in God by trusting in him. And we see that he's faithful and that he's trustworthy. And this is not some kind of bait and switch. We get strong by continuing to follow him, having this personal relationship, hearing his love. I think it's amazing that every time that we see God the Father speaking over Jesus in the New Testament is not telling Jesus what to go do, it's confirming his identity and his love for Jesus. This is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased you should listen to him. And this most times when I really walk with God and I'm asking big questions about building and finances and what to do with my life, I'll be honest with you, 99.9% of the time he doesn't tell me. It's like, God, I really need to know an answer to this. And I'll fast and I'll pray and I'll get in the word and I'll see. I'll have one of those moments and it doesn't happen all that often where this, this glory portal opens and I just... Feel, okay, me and God, we're on this Mount of Transfiguration together, and I just got the note card, and I just can't wait to write down the answer. And he's like, Luke, I love you, buddy. Got that, Lord? How about this? How about this? I just want you to know that I'm pleased with you. And you got nothing to earn and nothing to prove and nothing to fear. I love that. I'll put that on a coffee cup. What about this question here? The portal closes. Because, you know, I just don't think a lot of that other stuff matters as much to him as us knowing him. It's not the destination. It's the journey with him. When Jesus left the disciples, they were more confused than on the day that he called them. I mean, every step of the way, they're like trying to give him advice. Like, that's not a good marketing strategy, Jesus. You shouldn't tell people to eat your flesh and drink your blood. That's kind of a weird thing. That's, you know. Jesus knew what he was doing. He said, if you could learn to abide in the love of the Father, Like I abide in the love of the Father, you've got nothing to fear. See, the prophets invited people to turn from wickedness and follow the way of God. And rabbis invited people to turn from their ideas and follow a new teaching referred to as the yoke. But Jesus flipped the script and he's inviting people to walk He's inviting people into a relationship with the God of the universe through the person of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Scripture says this puzzles the angels. Isn't that amazing? Because this is a personal call to you. Your name. Will you come and follow me? I can't tell you how many times it's been lost on me like a good rule keeper, that I want to do the work of God without walking with God. I want to accomplish the purpose of God without enjoying the presence of God. And it just doesn't work that way. Jesus didn't just call his disciples to have some rules passed on and have a quick board meeting. No, he invited them to walk with him. You know, you get strong by doing it again and doing it again doing it again. You don't get strong by going to the gym once. You can go tomorrow, but you're not going to be any stronger next week. You're probably just going to injure yourself. You don't learn to p- play the piano or an instrument with one lesson. You don't become wealthy by living on a budget for one month. You don't gain spiritual power by showing up at church. You learn to follow him by following him, by walking with him, by listening and obeying and listening and obeying. You got to get strong and then finally you got to get going the rest of the passages give a glimpse of what it means to get going they're an oppor- opportunity for the disciples to trust jesus and to move out in faith and i love how he does it I, in, in the next passage he's gonna heal a man with a with a demon in him this unclean spirit and then in, in the next passage, he's going to heal all these people. starting with uh, Simon's uh, mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, which was, which was this incredible thing. And then, and then he's going to preach. And he's going to start doing ministry. And he's going to show them how to do it. And then he's going to give them the opportunity to do it. And they're going to really get going. And I believe God still uses people to do those same things. might not be the most common occurrence to heal or cast out demons. But the whole point is that we would learn to trust him. See, Jesus knows what you need. And sometimes the path Jesus takes you on is it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Sometimes you go way out of the way, sometimes you go dark darker in, you, you you go deeper into the darkness in order to get around and you see isn't this what the Father did with Jesus Himself at the height of his ministry, riding in on Palm Sunday only to take a tragic turn into the Garden of Gethsemane, into the flogging and into the beating, into his innocent death on a cross. Didn't his story take a tragic turn? But Jesus, having full confidence and faith in God, that he knew what he was doing, even if it didn't feel like it in the moment, he said, Lord, I would love for you to give me an out, give me a shortcut, give me another way, but not my will, but yours be done. Isn't this how we respond to suffering? Lord, fix it, please. Isn't this how we respond to cancer and sickness? In this, uh, we returned, uh, re- respond to re- relational discord. Lord, would you please fix it? But, but nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. And I'm going to trust you even though it doesn't make sense to me right now. This is what ministry looks like, what it means to get going. As we submit our lives to what we read in the word and what we hear him say, we find that we're not being led to see God in our stories, but we're, we're being led this paradigm shift to see our stories in God's. That God is the larger context and the plot in which I find myself in. True meaning and true significance comes when I begin to live into his kingdom. And these redneck disciples started to understand this at some point. John would become the bishop at Ephesus and Peter in Rome. Andrew goes to the border of Russia, all because they responded to this invitation of Jesus. Let me ask you, friends, where are you in this journey? Some of you began well. You clearly heard this invitation of Jesus and you started with him, but something happened and it was going in a, in a bad direction or you got broadsided by a five-year-old in a Lamborghini and this the pain and, 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 and this life began to hurt you and you just gave up. I encourage you. Can you hear this pastoral invitation to start following him once again this morning? You know, all of this would seem too much if Jesus hadn't shown us how to do it. Jesus could call these disciples to leave their father in the boat because Jesus himself left his father to come to the world and then certainly separated from his father when he hung on the cross in your place and in mine. Jesus followed the will of the father into the desert, into betrayal, into death, and even into hell. But in doing so, he purchased salvation for you and for me. We're going to take communion in a minute. and I would love this to be your prayer and communion. Lord, I don't understand it all, but I trust you. Lord, I don't understand it all, but I trust you. I give my life to you. I trust you. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for all those in the room. I pray, God, that we would respond by repenting and believing, making you the rightful king this morning. Lord, some in here, they've, they're in. They got in. They're having a really hard time getting healthy. Just so many wounds and pain that they've walked through. And, Lord, I pray that you would lead them, even to some people in this room that are a safe place, that they would take a real step of faith today and tell someone. Lingering sin, wounds from the past, that they would walk in the light, that they would experience healing by confession even today. Lord, some are using some wounds of the past as reasons not to trust you in this next step of faith. Lord, would you help them? You help all of us, Lord. To faith is scary sometimes. Would you help those areas of unbelief in our hearts? Would you help us to grow and to get stronger today? To get going? or that you've put a ministry opportunity in front of us, and some of us get to walk that out even this week as we're around some of those people that have caused so much hurt and pain in our lives, that we're able to extend forgiveness, to be reconcilers, of others to God, to be peacemakers. To spread the aroma of the good news of Jesus working and changing our lives into living rooms. God, I pray that you would give us boldness to speak up where we need to speak up and to keep our mouth shut when we need to keep our mouth shut. To extend the ministry of mercy and grace into every home that we go in this sweet aroma of nothing to earn and nothing to hide and nothing to prove because we've been perfectly loved by the one who knows it all the one who's the only one whose opinion really matters Maybe some of you would just hear the words of the Father over you again this morning. You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. Lord, we remember this as we take communion. That you gave everything up so that we could gain everything as an inheritance that you were condemned so we could be accepted, that you were cast out so that we could be brought near. And in remembering this in communion today, we proclaim your death until you come again. It's in your mighty name that we pray, amen. If you're visiting with us today, you don't have to be a member of our church to participate in communion, but you do have to be part of God's family. And if that's not you, you're not.